This is That's in the Bible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 48. Do you really know the Lord or the tale of two kings? Times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, powers at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, sage from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is coming. Hello, and welcome back to That's in the Bible. You're joining us here for episode 48, Do You Really Know the Lord or the Tale of Two Kings? Glad you could join us today. Matt is not here. He's uh, somewhere on the road between Syracuse and Markville, wherever that is. I've never actually been there. Um, But he's phoned it in and said he won't be able to make it. But we do have Pastor Steve and Pastor Strobel. Pastor Strobel, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. How's the weather out your way? It is springtime in the north. We have snow on the ground, and calendar turned spring on Sunday, and the weather turned winter on by Wednesday. Oh yeah, that's pretty nice. We, you know, as you know, I work in a school. We had no school yesterday. Everything was closed down yet again, and I think it's the third day that's cut into our vacation for like vacation break since uh, we're over our limit now on snow days. But yeah, right. It's the typical springtime here in central New York. And Steve, how about in uh, beautiful, sunny downtown, uh, what's your town again? West Seneca. West Seneca. Well, we have the same snow. In fact, we probably got between six to nine inches uh, on Monday. And it was the heavy, slushy type Um People were sliding and careening all over the place, but uh, the Lord kept us safe, and we were able to travel around, go to work, go to church, go to different places. Uh, actually, it wasn't Monday. It was, I'm sorry, it was Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. You're right. And I uh, got my days all mixed up. But uh, we made you. it to church, and uh, I, was, I was waiting for Pastor Strobel to correct me, <laughs> and he didn't do it. <laughs> but it was Wednesday. You're right. And uh, we made it to church because I know we went to church and and saw other uh, vehicles off the side of the road and going on the on-ramps and off-ramps of uh, the 400 and so forth. Driving like uh, Southerners now, aren't they? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, some, you know, when the, when the spring hits, they think they can go back to the way they used to drive, and uh, they're, they're not careful anymore. So, uh, but uh, Lord kept us safe, so we were we're doing well. Thanks. Not only that, I think the I think the um, highway department or the local highway departments put most of the plows away when the calendar <laughs> turned spring because they sure were not out in full force. And the side streets really <clears> took, a, <throat> took a beating. Well, the, all the streets did, but the side streets stay beat up for oh, yeah. a lot longer than the main drags. Well, yeah. the thing was, is it was a real, I mean, there was kind of rain and misty mm-hmm. beforehand, and that was real wet, heavy snow. And the uh, Pastor Strobel said the plows were out really early. Very early, and and uh, so whatever was on the on the roads was packed down by the tires, and and you can be a, a good driver and still have trouble uh, with that those kind of conditions. Um, <laughs> I had an incident where uh, my I was driving my wife and myself into work, and uh, we're on a regular road, you know, uh, 
four lanes of uh, you know in, uh, inner town travel and and uh, about almost seven o'clock in the morning and and traveling along and all of a sudden this guy in front of me just decides to pull into the median turn lane. And all of a sudden in front of me are all these cars all stacked up. So he didn't give me any brake warning to let me know that something was happening. So I'm putting on the brakes and, and, you know, pumping them a little bit, fishtailing back and forth with the cars on the right of me, cars on the left of me, and and was able to avoid everything and uh, uh, got back on the road, you know, (laughs) and uh, made it to work without a, without a hitch. But, you know, Typical, you don't know typical, how to handle the fishtails, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> that's just a typical Western New York commute. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember one day I was driving. It was, you know, bad weather. And uh, I was driving to, to school to work. And I was going down a hill. And I had a front-wheel drive car, of course. And as I was driving, the, the back end just came around. And I was looking at the back end as I'm driving straight and I'm facing them backwards. And I see this car behind me and he's looking at me. And then I, and then it must have been God. It must have been the Lord. All of a sudden, then I'm facing back the, the correct way and I'm going, I just kept on going. I did like a complete circle. And, the, and, and at the time, this was, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. At the time, people had CBs. And I had my CB on, and I heard the guy go, "Whoa, that's some fancy driving there!" <laughs> it was oh, completely, man. it was completely all unplanned, and I was like, "Oh, I can't believe I didn't wreck." Amen. Well, I was driving down a country road a few. Well, it's been several years ago now. It was about just about this time of year. It's one of those March snowstorms, and this particular country road um, has no shoulder, you know, so mm-hmm. you have a little drop off. And um, I was driving a. A, a van that was not all-wheel drive, an Astro van that was rear-wheel drive. <laughs> and I don't know exactly why, but my one wheel went off of the side of the road. And so when I got back onto the road, I started fishtailing. And so, you know, you turn into the slide, and, and then it went back. And, I, and so then it started the other way, and I turned in the other way, and I kept turning. Away. And this thing was not stopping. <laughs> and, and traffic, there was traffic coming toward me down the road. And my wife was with me and told me later, she thought there's no way we're getting out. She was, she was uh, discussing within herself whether or not she should jump out of the van. <laughs> and um, for some reason, I thought, you know, when you're in a situation like that, you shouldn't put on your brakes. And I didn't. And finally, when nothing else would bring it out of the fishtail, I lightly stepped on the brake. And right. the Lord, Lord brought me out of it. And hmm. Went on down the road. Yep. <laughs> Praising God. <laughs> See, it's like typical commutes to work. And the oh, people yeah. that don't have snow don't 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 realize what they're missing out when we have some excitement like that. We feel so sorry for them. Yeah. Well, you know, most of the time when this happens, we're we're talking about pretty serious conditions. When it happens down south, we're talking about a half inch or, or yeah. you know, maybe just a hair more. <laughs> There's chaos everywhere. Yeah, they, they close so, everything down. Yeah. Well, the thing, of course, they don't know what they're dealing with. And the thing about it is yeah. they, they got no plows, I don't think. So mm-hmm. that's they're true. Rather, that's they're true. rather stuck. Yeah. That's true. I tell you, as bad as it gets around here, um, I was talking with some of our folks from uh, Arctic Alaska. And this was... Uh, this was right around Youth Ablaze. Matter of fact, the day, the morning of that Friday that you were able to make it out for the evening service, you know, we had that big snowstorm at Youth Ablaze. Right, right. And right around that same time, 
I was talking with uh, Brother Dan Snyder in uh, Arctic, Alaska. He was stuck at the Anchorage airport after he had gone to Anchorage for some doctor's test and uh, was gonna, was to fly back to his village of Kotzebue. And uh, they were they were stuck in the airport for a couple of days, which I know well about because that's what happened to me on my trip. But the reason he was stuck was they got um, a big bad blizzard there. It dumped 80 inches of snow in two days. Wow. Whoa. I mean, Whoa. houses covered. That how, how many of, inches? 80 inches in wow. two days. And Whoa, so, baby. So they're digging, they're digging out with um, you know, bulldozers. <laughs> and, puddles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But oh, it's, man. I guess it's not something they're totally unused to. But when well, when just a... I don't. I don't want to. You know, this. This isn't certainly. Isn't I just one heard of, what our snowfall had been for the year, and we were just over. We were by eighty-four inches at that point. Yeah, so they got a whole yeah. seasons worth in two days. Wow. But still I, got. You know, that just up. reminds me. That, I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm. I'm talking over you there. Oh, I was just going to say they, right? they. But they got it cleared up, and then they did get back in uh, well, after a couple days. So anyway, go ahead. Well, I just, you know, we have uh, something that, that's, I guess, somewhat unique to the, to the Great Lakes area is what we call lake effect snow. And people unfamiliar, you know, with our surroundings and maybe, you know, what, we're, uh, what I'm talking about, the, the certain uh, wind currents and, and conditions produce snow where it pulls moisture out of the Great Lakes and um, depending on where you are and where the wind is will dump you know <laughs> huge amounts of snow on you and where I'm located is is just to the north of what they call the snow belt and uh, uh, we can get wind patterns that'll blow through us and go to the north of us and then come back and blow to the south and go south of us again but each time dumping a lot of snow and uh, a number of years ago, we had in about a uh, probably about a week's time, we had over seven feet of snow that uh, was dropped on us down here. And what that was was that lake effect that was going back and forth. And so, you know, we didn't get it all in in, in two days. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you that I I can feel for those people because we were oh, yeah. we were we didn't have any snowblowers or anything. We had kids with shovels and my wife and myself, and we'd dig out a twenty twenty four inches, and then it would be you know there wouldn't be any snow at all, and then all of a sudden the wind would shift and bring it back down, and we'd be digging out from twenty twenty four inches of snow again, and it just kept going and kept going. We we couldn't see down the street. We <laughs> the street was like a tunnel. You had to have somebody go out into the street to let you know when you could back out of the driveway. <laughs> it, was, we, it was so high on the banks, we had to get up on top and shovel it off so we could shovel more snow onto it. <laughs> it was it was wild. But yeah. uh, I, I can imagine those people up in, in Arctic, Alaska, 80 inches in two days. Oh, man. Yeah, they probably just plowed on through it, got it out, and went on yeah. about their business without thinking much about it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be tough folks up there. It's a little snow talk. I'm sure the uh the, the tourism board of New York State appreciates our efforts. <laughs> That's right. And and will you folks that are listening in California, would you please quit laughing? It's all right, I'd rather have snow than mudslides. <laughs> yeah. Earthquakes. Yeah, there's a, That's right. And 
on that note, you know, just we do our hearts and our prayers do go out yes. to those folks in Japan, and absolutely, you know, just thinking about that and just reminded of the we had an earthquake in what, uh, New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm. Was it last month or, the, or about a month before the one hit in uh, Japan? And you know, just what Chile not long before that, Haiti not mm-hmm. too often long before that, and. Mm-hmm. You know, you, they're getting worse and severe. And I mean, the Lord t- said that was one of the things to look for en route to his coming, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, earthquakes in diverse places. Yeah. And uh, that's actually one of the signs of the second advent. And if the rapture hasn't occurred, yeah. then uh, you know that's got to be even closer. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I just was struck again as I read it again recently was um, in Luke t- 21, He's talking about the earthquakes in diverse places in uh, verse 11. And then on down in verse number 25, he says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, mm. men's mm-hmm. hearts failing them for fear mm-hmm. and for looking for after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And right now these things are, they're, they're the beginnings of sorrows. And it's a sad thing and, you know, we certainly pray for these folks, and um, you know, we have a missionary over in Japan, and I, I've not heard one way or the other how things fared with him, um, but we're hoping that no news is, is good news at this point. Amen. But I've uh, been praying for their souls and the people over there. And uh, Is that Brother that, Brigham? That is. Uh, we've heard from him, and he's doing well. He's oh, good. Fine. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to take a just a short break and uh, we'll be right back you have heard the term saved before but is it something used in the bible saved from what what does the bible say about needing to be saved and how is it really done join us for episode 17 as we answer these important questions only on fatsinthebible.com amen so Matt did not even ring in. He didn't even ring in to, to let me know he wasn't going to make it for sure. But so I guess obviously he didn't didn't make it back in time. Hmm. So anything else before we pass it off to Steve? Not that I can think of. All right, Steve, you going to be ready? I'm ready. All right. So here we go with Do you really know the Lord or the tale of two kings? Um, as soon as I take the mute off the sound effect music. Well, amen. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. As Eric has mentioned, uh, the title of this uh, uh, podcast is uh, Do You Really Know the Lord? And the subtitle to it is The Tale of Two Kings. And uh, with the title uh, being, Do You Really Know the Lord? I guess there's a lot of ways that we could uh, go from there. I mean, there's a lot of avenues, uh, different approaches to that to that question. Um, but uh, with the scripture that I'm about to read, uh, and I think it'll make it a little bit more clear as to where we're headed with this thing, and I think it'll play itself out, and you'll understand where I'm coming from. But before we do that, let's uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're thankful for the day and for your blessings. And as we've mentioned already and uh, what we what has already been said, we do pray for those in Japan and other areas that have been affected 
by the earthquake and tsunami. It's uh, we haven't been on the air uh, since that has occurred, at least to my knowledge, anyway. And and uh, at least made the comments that we have just recently. And we realize, God, that that uh, those people need the Lord. And and uh, heard a statistic, Father, that that um, uh, of all the, the the major nations in the world, that. Uh, uh, the one with the least number of Christians in it is uh, is Japan for its population, and and I don't know why that is. I don't know if it has to do with their culture or, or whatever it is, Lord. But but they need to be saved, and I pray that that you would use this, uh, Lord. It's not an act of man. It's 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 certainly something that has transpired and happened in their lives that can show your power and. Uh, Lord, for the, the Christians that are there, uh, God, I pray that you give them favor and, and help them, Lord, as they deal with these folks, uh, many of them suffering loss and tragedy and, and losing everything that they have. God, I pray that they might be able to see that there's a God that, uh, in spite of their difficulty, loved them enough to die to take their place on the cross and pay their penalty that they might have forgiveness of sins and be able to have life eternal. Father, pray that you bless the, this podcast tonight. Help me, Lord, to be able to, to deliver it in the way that would please you and bring you glory and honor. Lord, pray that uh, the, the points and the, the, well, the aim and direction of this podcast would get, be gotten across and that the folks listening might understand. We love you, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 11, actually just want to read a portion of the verse that has a question in it, and uh, this might give you an idea of, of where we're coming from with this podcast, Do You Really Know the Lord? In Romans chapter 11... In verse 34, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? And again, the question is, do you really know God? Do you know how he thinks? Do you know why he does the things that he does? You know, uh, you take a look in the Old Testament, and you see all kinds of, of things happening. You see the wars, and you see uh, sometimes a, a harsh God that, uh, you know, takes people out, kills them for, for things that, you know, like we're, we're like scratching our heads, like, why would he do that? Uh, and sometimes we really don't know God like we think we know him. I mean, what the tendency is, is to create a God of our own imagination without really going to the source of understanding of God, which is the Bible, and basically create an idol in our heart, in our mind. Um, because the God of the Bible is not the God that we make up. I mean, most people have this, this conception. If you talked about God and you asked them what they think God is like, you will tell, they'll tell you that he's a God of love and, and that he's a God of compassion, that he wouldn't send anybody to hell and so forth and so on. He wouldn't hurt anybody. He wouldn't do anything to anybody. And, and of course, they just don't know the God of the Bible. And they certainly don't know the God of the Old Testament. Um, if you take a look, uh, Paul's aspiration was and his desire was to know God. 
He wanted to know the essence of God, what God was like, what what made God tick. You know, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, we read this. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, I, I can tell you that I've thought about it. I have a desire to know God. I've meditated on it. I've read my Bible. And, you know, I guess I have some semblance of an understanding of God, but better men than I uh, have thought on these things and, uh, you know, really just kind of playing in the kiddie pool as far as knowing God. Uh, they know him far better than I, but yet still they're, they're on the edges of the shore and they really don't know the depth of God. Now, uh, the reason why I say that is we can go to Isaiah chapter 55, and, and many of you that are familiar with your Bible know these verses, but really when you stop and think about what he is saying when we read these verses. In verse 8 of Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Now, we can just leave it at that, and we can say, well, you know, yeah, okay, maybe God thinks a little differently than we do. But then God puts a little bit of an explanation, a little bit of an illustration to help us understand how far apart we really are. In verse 9, it says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. Now, let's, let's just stop. <laughs> That's a pretty big gap, wouldn't you say? As far as, the, as, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The way God thinks is so much different than the way we think. We try to rationalize things and we try to put things in our perspective. Most philosophers, whether they're secular or Christian, make the mistake of looking at God with a human mindset. <clears throat> and they, they try to rationalize and they try to reason God and they try to put God in a human form such as themselves that, that, he, that God would make the same kind of judgments that they would make. And when he doesn't, they don't understand him. You know, we've all heard it, and, and these kind of things come up all the time. <clears throat> Why are there all these social ills? You know, why is there poverty? Why is there sickness? Why is there death? Why is there pain and suffering? Why is there crime? Why is there war? Why is there inequality? All of these things, God, man will put up in an attempt to blame God for all of these things, not realizing and recognizing, as we know the Scripture teaches, that it's man's sin that has brought all these things in. It's not God doing them to a, a, a minuscule man that can't defend himself. It's not God bullying man. It is man and his sinful acts that has gone against a righteous and a holy God that has caused all these things to take place. You know, they come up with this idea, well, you know, if God was a God of love, he, he'd stop all this. He wouldn't allow this to happen. You know, there's all kinds of things that we could talk about. I mean, you know, 
I've heard it say, and, and I'm sure most of you have heard it said from the media, that any time Pat Robertson or any of the other preachers or any preacher makes a statement that, uh, you know, uh, the hurricane is the judgment of God or whatever, that they're quick to to uh, uh, skin the guy alive for even suggesting such a thing because that kind of God is not in their thinking. But if you will take a look in the Bible, those things are quite real. God used war to pass judgment upon nations. He used war to to pass judgment upon his own people, the Jews. He brought in uh, the Syrians uh, to take care of the, the northern ten tribes. He brought in Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and Babylon to take care of the, the southern tribes. Took them captive. I mean, did some horrible, horrible things. All of it in judgment because they would not heed God's warnings. God uses natural disasters in the Bible to uh, perform judgment upon nations and upon people. I mean, <clears throat> you have a prime example of the of the worldwide flood that happened in Noah's day. <clears throat> you have uh, the plagues in Egypt uh, when uh, when Moses went down and was to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. All those ten plagues came upon Egypt. God used natural things. To cast or to to perform judgment upon the Egyptians, um, there's a place in the Bible where God opened up <clears throat> the earth and and swallowed uh, a group of people alive. Uh, uh, those principal parties that that uh, uh, were going against Moses and Aaron and and of really against God, but even innocent folks as their families were swallowed up alive with them. And, and that's what I'm saying. People that, that have this misconception of God, they, they formulate an opinion of God in their own mind, and that's the God that they serve, has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Now, the God of the Bible is, is the one that we really need to, to pay attention to because he's the one that has the answers to life. Um, the key, as again, as I've mentioned, of knowing God is not to find them out with our own brains, with our own human reasoning, but go to the Word of God. God reveals himself in the Word of God. And, of course, that's we have established long ago in this podcast, when we, when we do these things, that our final authority in all matters of faith and practice is the Word of God. We try, by the grace of God and the best of our ability, not to leave things subject to our opinion, because our opinion, frankly, differ than nobody else's, everyone else's opinion. I mean, your opinion is just as good as mine. But if what we say is based upon something solid as the Word of God, then there's some, some force behind that opinion. <clears throat> What I'd like to do is to, maybe to help illustrate this is I'd like to tell the tale of two kings. The, the tale is found in two different places. One is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and the other one is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, we're going to go through some scriptures in those chapters eventually, but what I'd like to do is I'd just like to tell the story. 
And if you'd like to follow along in, in, the, in the Bible, in those particular passages, you're welcome to follow along. I'll do my best to, to get the story straight. And I'm sure if I uh, have messed up uh, a place or two, Pastor Strobel will set me straight. Um, the first one found in 1 Samuel chapter 15 is the story of Saul. And the story of Saul really doesn't start with Samuel in the book of Samuel, but it starts before that in the book of Judges. And uh, the nation of Israel was, was vacillating back and forth as far as following God and not following God. There would be times of revival when God would set up a judge and would deliver the nation of Israel out of the hand of his oppressors and would be fined for a while, and that judge would die off, or his influence would die off, and they would go back into apostasy and idolatry and away from God. And God would use judges to bring them back. Some of those judges are Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and Deborah, uh, Barak, and so forth. And these judges were, in essence, the figurehead for God in the nation of Israel. Samuel, although it doesn't mention that, was one such judge. He wasn't in the book of Judges, but he comes up through in the book of Samuel. And uh, he was basically the last judge of the nation of Israel. And as the uh, children of Israel are looking around at the nations around them, they were dismayed in the fact that all these other nations had kings, and the nation of Israel didn't have a king. And so they were dissatisfied with that, and they wanted a king. And they hollered and moaned and groped about it enough to where God heard their cry and told Samuel that, uh, in essence, that they haven't rejected him as their judge, but they had rejected God as being their God. And so they wanted to be like all the other nations. And so God said, all right, I'm going to give them a peop- uh, man uh, in essence of their choosing, although God chose the man, and that man was Saul. Saul was uh, a tall man. Uh, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above all the men of the nation of Israel. He was a tall man. And uh, <clears throat> God made him the, the king. And he started out being a humble man. But uh, as time went on and he saw the kind of power that a king had, uh, it kind of went to his head. And he started losing sight of, of God, and he started losing sight of the influence of, of Samuel as his mentor, and he kind of got a little bit too big for his britches. Along in Saul's reign, God, uh, which is where we're getting to in, uh, in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, uh, God had uh, uh, an axe to grind with the Amalekites because of things that they had done to the nation of Israel when they came up out of the wilderness and were ready to come into the promised land, uh, God kind of had an axe to grind and, and wanted to take care of this uh, nation once and for all. And so he gives an order to King uh, uh, Saul. And in verse three of 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says this, Now go smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman and infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, for the modern Christian or the modern uh, uh, person living today, that is just something that they can't quite comprehend. 
that God would give an order such as that. But he did. And uh, Sam, uh, uh, King Saul went out to accomplish that, uh, that task. But as he went down, God gave him favor, and, and uh, the Amalekites couldn't stand before Israel, and he began to destroy them and began to kill them. And, uh, but lo and behold, Saul had this bright idea for one reason or another. He thought he'd save uh, King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, and he thought he could save the best of the, uh, of the sheep and the oxen and the asses and so forth. And uh, he's bringing them up behind him with, uh, in this victory parade as they're heading back uh, to uh, uh, their home base there. I don't know if it was Shiloh or wherever it was. I don't remember right offhand, but they were traveling back. And uh, uh, God sees what, what took place. And he sends Samuel to, uh, to meet him there. And just to let you know that, that God wasn't really pleased with him. And I want to read this verse. It's found in verse 9. And it says this, <clears throat> But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, <clears throat> they, utter, or they destroyed utterly. Now, that wasn't quite exactly what they were told to do. For reference, to go back to verse 3 and see what they, what they were told to do. But suffice it to say that, and some people could give it maybe less uh, percentage of right to wrong than maybe I will, but I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'll say that, that God gave Saul um, not God gave Saul, but Saul did what God wanted him to do, probably about 90 to 95% of the task Saul accomplished. And by our standards, by human standards, by a man's standards, you'd look at that and you'd think that would be pretty good. 90 to 95% uh, accomplished rate, that'd be pretty good. Um, but God didn't look at it that way. God saw something that was wrong, and he sent Samuel to go and talk to him. Now, we're going to drop that for now. We'll come back to it in a little bit. But I want to tell you the story of the other king. The other king is David. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. <clears throat> and, of course, many of you know this story, but let me just retell it and uh, kind of abbreviate it and get our bearings here. There was a time when the kings were to go out to war. It's kind of a convenient thing. They didn't do it in the wintertime or whatever. They just kind of had some set months where the kings went out to war, and that's when they did their battle. And David sent Joab and his army out to do battle. And um, David stayed home. David stayed home, and, and he went out on his rooftop. And, you know, I heard a preacher say this not too long ago, and it caused me to ponder and think about it. And, you know, and I'm just going to relay it on to you. There's, there's nothing in the text that really says this. But, uh, you know, somebody that's, that's uh, uh, I'll say a Christian. I know David, quote, wasn't a Christian like you and I are Christian, but let me just use that term. Uh, normally, you know, a Christian that's been in their Bible doesn't fall the first time that they're presented with a temptation. 
And the way I'm going at this, I don't think that David was up on that rooftop just that one time and happened to see Bathsheba down there on a lower terrace and bathing herself and just happened to fall. I think he kind of saw her time and again and again and again and again until finally his desires became more than what uh, his uh, resolve could, could hold together. And uh, David lusted after her, and David wanted to have her. And, of course, the husband was gone. He was gone to war, and, and as were most of the uh, mighty men, uh, the men of valor that were fighting for David. And so he sends somebody to go and fetch her, and he lies with her and uh, sends her back home and figures, well, that, you know, get by with that. And lo and behold, as time passes on, that uh, she's with child. David has a problem. And so David sends for her husband, which is Uriah, tells him to come off of the front and uh, come back home. And he, he's trying to find out how the battle's going so that he can <clears throat> kind of, you know, do some chit-chat and so that he maybe not realize what David's, his underlying meaning for bringing him back is all about. And so uh, chit-chat about the war and so forth. And he uh, says, well, you know, you've done a good job. Why don't you go home, be with your wife, you know, take some R&R, and then I'll send you back to the front. And David's is really trying to cover up his sin, and God wouldn't have anything to do with it. And so uh, Uriah's integrity prevented him from doing such a thing as going into his wife. And, of course, uh, a paraphrase of that is that, you know, all of his comrades are out there in tents, and why should I be able to go in and enjoy the, the pleasures of my wife while all the rest of my comrades are out there in battle? And so he stays on the doorstep and doesn't go into his wife. And David says, well, okay, uh, why don't you come up and have a banquet with me? And he eats dinner with David, and David does something that the law forbids, and that was cause another man to be drunken. And he gets him drunk, and he figures, well, if he loses in his inhibitions, <clears throat> maybe he'll uh, go in and lie with his wife, and, and uh, no one will be the wiser, and I'll be able to get away with this thing. Uh, yet uh, he's, Uriah's integrity, even in a, a drunken stupor, didn't allow him to go in and lie with his wife. And so uh, David uh, says, all right, this is the way it's going to be. He writes uh, uh, Uriah's death notice and sends it by his own hand and sends it to Joab, who is David's general, and says, tells Joab to put Uriah up in the forefront of the battle at the hottest place where the battle is the strongest. And uh, with a secret code of, of retreat, you pull everybody back except Uriah and let him die in the battle. And he dies in the battle. And uh, there's a verse that that just really, uh, when I read it, it it just appalls me. And it's found in in Second uh, Samuel chapter eleven, verse twenty six, and uh, verse twenty seven. It says this: And when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband, or that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was passed, David set, sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, 
here you have David, who's probably broken all 10 of the Ten Commandments. According to the law, he's, what he's done is worthy of death, not only for adultery, but for the murder of Uriah. In fact, the Bible says that it's murder. <clears throat> then he takes the wife of the man that he just had killed and takes her for his own wife. I mean, that's pretty low down. I mean, that, that's downright cold to do something like that. Now, if, if we were to use our own logic and our own reason, uh, <laughs> there wouldn't be any contest between Saul and David as to who we would pronounce judgment on and who would, would, should receive the worst punishment. Saul does 90 to 95% of what God asked him to do. David breaks almost every commandment and then takes the wife of the man he just has killed and takes her for his own wife. Both of these kings did wrong. But which one does God judge worse? I mean, now this is where we really comes into play. Do we really know the Lord? Now what we're going to do is we're, we're going to see that both of these kings were confronted for what they did wrong. And we're going to find out that, that uh, which one received a harsher punishment and which one was forgiven. And we're going to see not only, you know, that they were forgiven, but why they were forgiven. <clears throat> you know, in, in 1 Samuel, go back to Saul, and we'll take a look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 15, take a look in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be the Lord, uh, be, thou, uh, be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. <laughs> you read that verse, and of course, you take a look at the verses just before that. Let me, let me go back, backtrack just a little bit. Take a look in verse, uh, verse 10 and 11. It says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried unto the Lord all night. Then we read about in verse 13 that Saul doesn't even think that he's done anything wrong. In verse 14, Samuel says this. He says, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And this is Saul's response. And Saul said, they, who is they? It's got to be the people. You'll see that here in just a moment says, they have brought, uh, uh, brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and, to, uh, and, and the rest have they utterly destroyed. Now, just for context's sake, just for clarification's sake, was what Saul said there, was that actually true? Take a look in verse 9 says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, the fatling of the lambs, and so forth and so on. It wasn't they. It wasn't just the people. 
it was it was both of them, Saul and the people. Take a look at verse 20. And Saul sent unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. You know, Samuel tells him, look, you haven't done the right thing. And Saul's arguing with him. He's defending himself. He's justifying himself. He's saying, yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, he didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites because he left uh, 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 Agag alive. He's insisting on his innocence even when he's shown that he's wrong. In, in verse 21, here he goes, he's continuing on. He says, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now he's, now he's casting blame and making an excuse for all the other things that are going on. Samuel says this in verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. That's a pretty heavy pronouncement. You know, here we read up there where, where uh, Saul is, is making the excuse of, of bringing the, the, uh, the, fat, the, the rams and, the, and so forth, the sheep and the oxen, uh, to bring a burnt offering and sacrifices. You know what man thinks? Man thinks that being religious is more important than obeying what God says. Now stop and think about that. Being religious is more important than obeying what God says. You know, there are people that I run into on a daily basis that think it's more important for them to do a religious exercise going to church if they do go to church or once a year if they do go. They think that's more important than obeying what God says when he says you must be born again. They're more interested in a religious rite and ceremony than they are with obeying the voice of the Lord. There's going to be many a man that's going to stand before God who have rejected the word of the Lord when they hear this, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. They're going to think that they're okay because they've done some religious duties They've gone to church. They've done their time when they really should have been obeying God's voice and entering in at the straight gate and not the wide gate, being born again instead of being baptized by a priest when you were a baby. You need to obey the voice of the Lord. 
You know what Saul, Saul continues to do? He, he's justifying himself, and he's making excuse one after another. Take a look in verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, wait a minute. He's the king. He's the one that's supposed to tell them what to do. He's just making an excuse for why he did what he did. Take a look in verse 30. <clears throat> you know, Samuel performs some acts there. He kills Agag and so forth and, and uh, uh, you know, reads Saul the riot act. In verse 30, it says, Then he said, uh, this is Saul speaking, said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and to turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. Here he blamed the people. Then he feared what they would think of him if Samuel didn't go with him. He's more interested in appearing religious and being right with Samuel and with God than he is actually being right with God. He wanted Samuel to validate him in his kingship. He wanted, through all of this, to maintain the appearance of being religious. And you know what the end of Saul was? He lost the kingship. It departed from his family. He died a frustrated, demon-possessed man obsessed with trying to kill the one that would eventually succeed him. And all of that because he did not obey the voice of the Lord. You know, he did about 90 to 95% of what he was supposed to do, but he didn't obey it completely. Now, let's take a look at David and what happens to David. David's confronted. He's confronted by Nathan, the prophet. And Nathan tells David a story about two neighbors. One neighbor has great uh, estate, <clears throat> all kinds of, of uh, livestock. And uh, his neighbor was a poor man that lived next door uh, that just had one little ewe lamb that lived uh, with him, uh, basically a pet, Nathan describes to David that way. And uh, the rich man uh, with his huge estate had some dinner guests come by, and he didn't want to kill any of his animals, so he went by and had uh, his neighbor's lowly ewe lamb taken from him and uh, decided to have that for dinner. And David's ire and anger wells up within him and pronounces judgment. I mean, he's asking Nathan, is this real or is this just some story you're telling me? And David pronounces the judgment, says, four sheep for a sheep. The man that did this should surely die. And Nathan takes his finger and points it at David and says, thou art the man. And I want you to notice that there's a difference in the way that Saul handled it and the way that David handled it. I, I have in my mind's eye, because of the, of the way the scripture is written, that David just downs his head. And he doesn't say a word. And uh, Nathan goes on and, and uh, 
begins to pronounce judgment upon David, and David realized that he's been caught. And David doesn't offer any excuse. And Nathan pronounces that judgment, says the sword's never going to depart out of your hand. The four sheep that you pronounced are going to die. Four of your sons, three sons and a nephew are going to die. A public humiliation is going to take place in your realm. Uh, A rebellion within your own household from Absalom is going to take place. We find that out later. And uh, David just accepts it. David doesn't argue with him. David doesn't offer any excuse. He realizes that he's been caught, he's been had. Uh, in, In some respect, it's probably a relief to him that he's finally been caught. Because someone like David, trying to harbor all of that stuff inside of him, probably just eating him alive. And the Bible says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against uh, the Lord. And, and that's all he said. He just admitted that he did it. He didn't offer any excuse. He just admitted that he did it. And Nathan receives the word of the Lord. Nathan, the, the rest of that verse, and Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now, to get a better understanding of David and how he felt about this, <clears throat> there's a psalm that's written that uh, probably most of you are quite familiar with, but I want to read it to you just so that you get the impact of what David is experiencing here in when he, he, in other words, his remorse for what he's done. In Psalm 51, we read this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, uh, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, And in the hidden parts, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
and a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do you see the difference between Saul and David? Saul offered excuse after excuse and justification and blame to try to cover up his wrongdoing, even though he did most of everything God asked him to do. And because of that attitude, God took his kingship away and, as I said, died a frustrated, demon-possessed man. Here you go. You have David, who did everything wrong. And here he is. (laughs) Should have died. He should have been taken, the kingship should have been taken away from him. And God had mercy on him because he acted in the right way. He acted with a broken and a contrite heart. And God exalted him. Yeah, David did pay a price. We always do when we sin. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But David was forgiven. His name is connected with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is called the son of David. And in spite of all of his trouble, David was still blessed. Now, the moral of this story is not it's not better to go and commit murder so God will go easy on you. <laughs> That's not it at all. But what I'm trying to get across, at least in this fashion, is this. It's the heart of man when wrongdoing is exposed that he repent without excuse. That's our response. How many times have we sat in church and the preacher has preached and God's tapped us on the shoulders or kicked us in the shins or whatever and let us know in no uncertain terms that we're wrong? And how do we respond? Do we make excuse? Do we justify ourselves? Do we put the blame on other people? Or do we sit and take it? And down our head and with a broken and contrite spirit, we we acknowledge our sin before God and get the thing right. And just basically throw ourselves at the mercy of God. That's where we need to be. You know, you might have a good friend that sees something in you and, and confronts you with it. And... You know, the initial human response is to, to rustle against it, to, to deflect it, to, to put up a wall, to allow the pride to take over. Maybe we ought to just let it come and settle in and, and see if the thing is true or not. Be open and, and receptive to God. In, in man's eyes, David should have been the one to receive the harsher punishment. Not Saul. But in God's eyes, what Saul did, even though he was 90 to 95% right with what he, what he was supposed to do for God, was far worse in God's sight than what David did. Do we really know the Lord? Do you know the way God thinks? I'm hoping with these examples, the tale of these two kings, that you might see that, that 
the God of the Bible is different than the God of, that you've made up in your own imagination. And you need to chuck that God of your imagination and, and cling to the God of the Bible. Because with him, you'll have peace and safety if you do what he says. Do you realize that the Bible says this? For those of you that may be still hanging on and really haven't gotten a hold of what I'm talking about, the Bible says this, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It doesn't seem right to man's eyes that God would send anybody to hell, but he will if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can be as religious as you want to be. You can save all the best of the things that God's told you to get rid of and offer them as a sacrifice, some religious ceremony, and God won't even wink at it because he's looking to see what you've done with his son, Jesus Christ. Just a few more scriptures and I'm done. But please take heed to these things. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ and you've been religious and you think that you're okay, think on these verses. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4 it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In Luke 13, it says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, folks, you can be like Saul, and you can offer excuse after excuse after excuse, but one day you're going to stand before God, and all those excuses will go down the tubes. Because all he's going to find, want to know is what you did with Jesus Christ. Friend, what happened to me one day is the Lord came knocking at my heart's door and he said, Steve, you're a sinner. And you're going to go to hell if you don't trust me as your Savior. And I'm not going to give you the long story, but the abbreviated version is, is that I finally bowed my head and I had nothing to say. I was guilty before God, and all I could do was beg for his mercy and ask him to save me because I couldn't save myself. Christian, if you're offering excuse after excuse, either reading the Bible for yourself and God pointing his finger at you and saying you're wrong, or hearing the message from a preacher from a pulpit or somebody from a podcast and showing you and God bearing witness that you're wrong about something instead of offering excuse and casting blame and justifying yourself get it right with God humble yourself and do the right thing do you really know the Lord I mean do you really know the God of the Bible I pray that the story, the tale of two kings, has maybe shed some light on that. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Steve. Amen. Uh, Pastor Strobel. 
Amen. Very good study. Uh, laid out very well. Uh, I was thinking in regard to people and their, their views on the Lord. You know, Romans chapter 1, it says in verses 22 and 23, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools yes. and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And mm-hmm. it goes on. But uh, I think what happens is, you know, the, the Lord created us in our image and we fell. And uh, now what we do, as Steve was uh, accurately and adequately relaying, is, is we're, we're in our minds, we're inventing a God after our own image. Mm-hmm. And we change his glory into one like an, like an image to a corruptible man. We, we think that he is, as it says someplace in Isaiah, I believe, uh, altogether such an one as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He's not. And that verse that he said that uh, sometimes is quoted and not thought about, about his thoughts being higher than our thoughts and his ways than, than our ways, you really ought to meditate on that thing Amen. because uh, they, they are very much higher. And um, we are at our core as human beings, even sometimes as Christians, we're, we're so humanistic and we're more humanistic than godly. And uh, that comes of taking the uh, second commandment and putting it above the first. Amen. And Jesus said the first commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second was like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. And um, religion and humanism, everything, they, they flip it. If God gets any place, it's, it's second place or someplace after first. But it's, it, the right order is God first and everything else second. Amen. And, uh, and, the, and the two commandments, the Lord first and the people second. First uh, Corinthians says in chapter 3, and beginning in verse 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Mm-hmm. So if your thoughts are going against God's and you think you, you got it all figured out, well, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Uh, the Lord takes the wise in their own craftiness. And he knows the thoughts of the wise. It goes on to say in First Corinthians three that uh, they are vain. Um, David and Saul are tremendous studies, and and uh, Steve pitted them against each other. You could uh, really see uh, the Lord and, and a good way to get a, a good thought, some good thoughts about getting to know Him. Uh, you got to see His interrelation with the people and in in the two in the two kings. Uh, Saul. When I study Saul, there's just so much that uh, pops out. And uh, one of the things is, a lot of people, I don't guess, realize it, but if you go back and read his beginnings, they were humble beginnings. Yes. And Saul really started out as a humble man, and uh, the Lord really had to uh, pull him and, and push him and prod him into becoming king, and, and he did. But after a while, it, it took over. Right. And um, when it did, when Samuel was pronouncing judgment right around in the part where Steve was reading, Samuel said uh, to him, when thou wast little in thine own sight... Mm. Was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And that's what it was about. He he was little in his own sight, and then it became a, a thing where it was all about him. Everything was just Saul. He was full of self. Right. Uh, Saul had the proverbial eye trouble. Uh, that's the letter I. And mm-hmm. uh, that letter I is what's at the center of sin. If you look at the word, it's the middle letter of sin. And, of course, it's been well documented this was the devil's problem. In Isaiah 14, uh, you can read it sometime, verses 12 through 15, he repeatedly said, uh, I will, I will, I will, uh, exalting his will against God's will. And uh, the final pronunciation of judgment uh, was, uh, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Mm -hmm. So you can exalt your will against God's will all your life, and your end will be the same as uh, the devil's. You you were Um, mentioning, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Paul. I apologize. <laughs> okay. Hey, 
Go ahead. Well, I was just going to tie into that eye trouble because that eye trouble consumed him uh, to the point where he was just absolutely obsessed with getting David. Yeah, I mean, there, w- there was nothing else left for him except to get rid of the one that he uh, attributed the demise of his kingdom. Instead yeah. of himself, it became someone else. And that is a, a, a true... Uh, key, I guess you could say, or, or uh, um, sign uh, of someone that is, that is really uh, in this kind of uh, predicament is that they're just obsessed with trying to get rid of someone that they're attributing their problems to. Amen. Amen. Yep. I was just reading uh, the book of Esther today in my daily Bible reading, and that's the same thing you got going on with um, uh, Haman in yep. regard to Mordecai. Yeah, same, same deal. It consumed him, and uh, eventually it cost him his life. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, Saul, when when David came back after beating Goliath, and everybody was singing, and they were singing these songs they'd made up for the occasion. Saul has slain his thousands, and boy, Saul's here and there. He's going, "Well, all right, yeah, they love me." <laughs> and then they sang verse two, and David is ten thousand. Yeah. And it was what? <laughs> and the Bible yeah. says that he eyed David from that day forward. Yep. Yeah, he did. And then just last real quick thoughts about David. Um, I've heard it said of David that David was a great sinner, but David was a great repenter. Mm-hmm. And Steve laid that out for you well, and Isaiah 51 really shows you the heart of David. And, and it's like he said, it's not that um, we sin so that we can, can you know, get forgiveness. Romans 6.1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer was given, God forbid. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Lord doesn't want us to sin, but, but what he does is he makes a provision for us if we'll humble ourselves and cast ourselves at the throne of his mercy through his saving blood at his feet after we have sinned. And that's where he says in 1 John 2, uh, verse 1, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And there's God's perfect will. Mm-hmm. The next breath he says, And if any man sin, I'm writing these things so you don't sin. Now, if you do, okay, mm-hmm. and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen and we recommend, him, we recommend him highly to you. As Brother Steve said, if you yourself don't know him as your Savior, um, I'll give you one last verse. Isaiah 55, 3 says, Incline your ear and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. I have a uh, scripture plaque hanging over my desk downstairs, and and it's Proverbs three five. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Amen. And I find that I uh, I need to be reminded of that mm-hmm. as I'm trying to figure out, you know, well, how's that going to work, and what's going to happen here, and 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 I, I, it's a good plaque for me to have up there because it's, it's it's one that uh, it's one that I uh, have to. I have to take a look at from time to time. But, you know, also, I think also, Steve, I think it's part of our culture these days, unfortunately, that no one takes responsibility for their actions. And they're always trying to maneuver and, and uh, I wouldn't say no one, but very few, you know. And I see it a lot, even in the, in the school that I work in, where kids that, uh, you know, they do something wrong. There's, it's uh, somebody else's fault. You know, somebody else. And, and unfortunately, these days, the parents will also say that, too. 
Well, <laughs> it, it says, you know, the Bible says uh, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, Saul and them were, were just like that. But also the other thing is, is that the farther away from the Bible we get, the farther away from understanding the God that we, you know, and we make excuse and we, mm-hmm. uh, we just do all of those things that we shouldn't do because we're, we're far away from God. We're far away from the Word of God. And, and and regarding the no new thing under the sun, that stuff uh, you were just talking about, Eric. That's that's Genesis chapter three. Yeah. yeah. As soon as they're Absolutely. caught, you know, right? right. Comes to it's the woman. Uh, she yeah. did it. <laughs> woman, you know. Once you gave me the serpent. Once yeah. the woman. Everybody's yeah. passing the buck. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. And on that note, Steve, you were almost done. Steve, you were you were pretty quiet today regarding Matthew. Well, I mean, you know, he's not there to defend himself, and I, <laughs> I, you know, I just feel bad. You know, I, I know you're trying to stir the pot, and you're probably me. <laughs> but if if you get home on time and and uh, be ready and willing at a moment's notice, oh. uh, you know. He, be here to be able to put his two cents in and and contribute to the podcast. Hmm. <laughs> I think you stirred it yourself there pretty good. <laughs> well, you opened the door. <laughs> I mean, what would it be if I didn't do something like that? I mean, you know, you know he's got to come back and say something to me, so tip or tat, I guess. You will now. I know he's got to really kind of play it a little bit cool, you know. He's got this wedding coming up in That's June, right. and I think, I think it's you know you're quite involved in that somehow or another. Uh, yeah, intimately. In get fact, he's got to repeat after me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna walk her down the aisle, yep. and give her away, and then get up there. Yep. I heard of a preacher that did that, and he. He walked down down the aisle, then went then went up behind. He said, "Who?" He, then he got up there, went up behind the pulpit, and said, "Who gave this woman marriage?" And he walked back down and said, "Her mother and I." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had visions of that, but I don't think I'd work too well. <laughs> but but you know what he added in it? He gets up there and says, um, you know, "Who gave this woman marriage?" He goes down there and first he says, well, "What'd you say?" <laughs> 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 Give you three guesses who who did that. About it for I know who did it. I know who did it. <laughs> Funny man. Oh, oh boy. Right. All right. Well, Lord willing, we'll see everybody back here again next time. Amen. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.